When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR Welcome icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. Here. Here. Podcast, America, podcast. It is Friday, December 1st, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. Hope you have enjoyed the AT World Tour. I uh, was in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Did a late show Wednesday night into Thursday. Hope you enjoyed the bonus show. But we got ourselves a pretty standard Friday episode of the Aaron Torres Pod. By the way, I am here in Kansas City, Missouri right now, getting ready for the UConn-Kansas game tonight. I will be at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. If you see your boy Torres, tell give 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 the, give a wave to your TV. I'll give you a wave back. Uh, I'll make a pick at the end of th- this show. But we do have a jam-packed episode uh, here on a Friday. We're going to open all of the conference championship picks and preview. SEC. Big 10, ACC, Pac-12, Big 12, so many games, so much on the line. We've done playoff scenarios. I'm not going to go over it again, but we'll give you my preview and picks. From there, quick break. How about this? College football's transfer portal isn't even open yet, and there has been so much chaos, so many big names going in. I'm going to give you the names you need to know that are already in the portal. Finally, we will wrap with America's Favorite Podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We do have a busy Friday show. Before we get started, just one more time, do want to thank the fine people of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, first time in Fayetteville, first time at Bud Walton Arena on Wednesday night. Just had an absolute blast. So many of you came up. So many of you said you listened to the show, you listened to the YouTube channel. Cannot thank you guys and girls all enough for your support. And by the way, it's not to say that we don't have great listeners in other states, other fan bases, other whatevers. I'm so grateful to do what I do. Uh, but but obviously, Wednesday night was about Arkansas, so thank you to everybody who came up to me, who listens to the show, who wanted to say hi, who wanted to take pictures. Truly appreciate your support. With that said, as great as Wednesday was in Fayetteville, Arkansas, it's time to get back to college football. It's time for the topic of the day, so let's not waste any more time. And that topic of the day, it is the conference championship games in college football. And listen, at this point, you don't need me to tell you what's at stake. We've gone through all the different scenarios. On Wednesday's show, we talked about what happens if this team loses and that team loses. What was the committee trying to say when they did this? Let's just get into the games today, who I think it's going to win and how it's going to go down. We'll be quick here. We'll try to do two, three, four minutes on each team, each game. And of course, if you want the extended updates, the extended previews, 
Make sure to subscribe to the College Football Betting Show with Aaron Torres, which is available Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Let's get into it, though. Listen, you don't need me to tell you where we're going to start. We're going to start in Atlanta, Saturday afternoon, Georgia-Alabama in the SEC championship game. Very interesting point spread here as Alabama is a five-and-a-half-point underdog. Georgia, a five-and-a-half-point favorite in the DraftKings Sportsbook, the over-under set at 54-and-a-half. And what's interesting about this game, I don't think you would argue that either of these two teams is coming in having played their best football last week. For Alabama, we already know, 4th and 31 against Auburn in the Iron Bowl. It was not pretty. I get it. But they survive. We talked about that game. I'm not going to give you all the details because I'm sure you remember. And then from Georgia's perspective, did not play great against Georgia Tech, but was able to win by eight. Going into this game, listen, I said it on the college football betting show, I'll say it here. I think what it ultimately comes down to is which defense can make the other team's quarterback more uncomfortable. Georgia, we know they are elite in the run game and elite in the uh, on the defensive side of the football. I don't think what enough people are realizing, and I think they're finally starting to get it, Carson Beck is having an elite season. Did you know that Georgia has the number eight pass offense in college football? Number two in the SEC only to LSU. He is having the best season of any quarterback that has played under Kirby Smart. And I think, listen, they're only getting healthier. Brock Bowers, Lad McConkey, you know, I'm tripping over his name. You get, you know who I'm talking about. Marcus Rosamy, Jack Saint. Uh, they got so many weapons in that pass offense. And then from Alabama's perspective, can you make Jalen Milrow uncomfortable? Runs the football a lot. Makes all of his runs count. 12 total rushing touchdowns this year. And I think most importantly, like we talk all the time about quarterbacks making big passes in big moments. I think he's one of the rare quarterbacks that I've seen that can make great runs in big moments. Remember, everyone was going to focus on the fourth and 31 against Auburn. There was a third and 20 that before the fourth and 31, there was a third and 20. Jalen Milrow picks up 19 yards on the ground with his feet. If he doesn't get those 19 yards, they don't convert the fourth down. They don't get into a situation where they have a fourth and 31 and they don't win that game. And so when I look at that game, this game, both quarterbacks are key. And let me say this, as far as what is going to happen on the field, I will say this. One, I actually think Alabama is going to win. I think Alabama is going to cover and it's for a few different reasons. One, I know that Alabama did not look good last week against Auburn, okay? But one thing I think we do too much as a society, I think we're too focused on the last thing that we saw. Like we have a ten- literally there are studies that humans have a, a shorter attention span than goldfish. And why do I bring it up? And I'm not being sarcastic. Humans have shorter attention spans than goldfish. Why is that? It is because it's the world that we live in. We only think about what we just saw. And what we just saw was Alabama struggle. That's not who they have been all year. This is a team that, frankly, has gotten better every single week, basically since the South Florida game. They they barely beat South Florida. Then they beat Ole Miss in the SEC regular season opener. Then they win at AM and it's a close game. Then they win it against Tennessee, and it's not quite as close. Then they win against LSU, and it's not close at all. And so they were playing their best football. They clinched the SEC West title against Kentucky. And then it is human nature for them to have a little bit of a letdown. They destroyed Chattanooga. And then they're going into the Auburn game. And I think it's, I know fans don't want to hear this, but it's natural to overlook Auburn. 
Because at the end of the day, you know you're playing for an SEC championship and a college football playoff berth this weekend in Atlanta. And so I know fans that grew up on the Iron Bowl and 50 years ago and whatever, they want to think that the Iron Bowl is all that matters. But for these kids that aren't from Alabama, they came to Bama to play in SEC championship games and compete for college football playoff first. And so I think we get their best effort here. The other thing with Georgia, Carson Beck's been incredible. I'm not taking it away. Like, like when I'm picking Alabama to win, it's not because I think Georgia's overrated or they stink or whatever. But I do think this is the, I don't think, this is statistically the best pass defense that Georgia has faced all year long. And so when I look at this game, I think that they, they face one top 30 pass defense all year in all. Uh, how about this? Tennessee, Missouri. This is Georgia I'm talking about now. Georgia's opponents. Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky, Ole Miss. They are all 70 or worse. Bottom half of college football. It's the best pass defense they have seen all year. I think that they don't quite throw the ball as well as we think. And I think Alabama gets the win 24 to 22 in this game. Let's go to a game next that is being played tonight in Las Vegas. How about this? Washington is undefeated. Washington has a head-to-head win over Oregon. And Oregon is a nine and a half point favorite according to the DraftKings Sportsbook. Listen, I thought after last weekend when Washington needed a last second field goal to win the Apple Cup and Oregon destroyed Oregon State, I thought Oregon might be favored, but I thought even that would be controversial if they were like a two and a half, three point favorite. Nine and a half points is the ultimate bulletin board material, but it sort of makes sense why, right? Since these two teams played in mid, mid-October, Oregon has destroyed everybody they've played. Of their five, of their six wins, five have been by double figures. Uh, the only game that was not double figures was USC. That was a nine point win. And frankly, it wasn't that close. I watched the whole game. It was not competitive. Oregon was able to win convincingly, even though the final score was only by nine points. Washington, on the other hand, it's kind of crazy. They've won all these games, but they've been close. Of their six games, so Oregon has won six straight games by double figures since losing to Washington. Washington, meanwhile, of their six games, four have been by a possession or less, including the last three. And then on top of that, three-point win over Washington State last week, two-point win over Oregon State the week before, touchdown win over Utah. So four of their six wins have been by single, by one possession. And one of them that wasn't was the Stanford game that they uh, they trailed going into the fourth quarter. The other one, by the way, was USC. They won by 10, and they still gave up 42. So I bring it up because, listen, Washington, I don't think they're playing their best football. And I think you go back to the first game. Remember, Oregon outgained Washington by over 100 yards, easily could have won that game, went 0 for 3 on third down, including the late sco- the late one that mattered. As far as a pick for this game, I do like Oregon to win. I don't know about the point spread. I'm, I, if I was betting this game, I would not bet the point spread. And I do think the over of 66 and a half is in play. I'll tell you what. We can criticize Washington for a lot, but if you go through their games, Basically, every single game that they've played in either good weather or not a torrential downpour has been that they've been able to score points. Okay. The only three games all year where they basically have not been able to move the ball were three games where the weather was abysmal. Last week against Washington State in the Apple Cup, they put up 24. Oregon State was a torrential downpour, 22 points. And the Arizona State when they put up 15 points in bad weather. In good weather, 52 at the LA Coliseum, 42 against Stanford, 35 against Utah in a game where the weather wasn't really a factor. 
And so I think Washington's going to be able to put up 28, 30, 31 points. The problem is they have one of the worst pass defenses in college football. They're okay at stopping the run, and I don't think they're slowing down Oregon at all. So this is an interesting game because I have yet to hear anybody make the case for the undefeated team that beat Oregon. I'm I'm with them. I don't I think Oregon wins this game. I'll say 38 to 30. My best bet would actually be the over of 66 and a half. Uh, but I think Oregon wins. And I think we get to have all sorts of debates about the college football playoff. I think Oregon should be in if they win this game. I don't know if it's going to be so concrete. Really quickly, the other three games. How about this? Michigan, a 22 and a half point favorite. The over under in the Big Ten Championship game, 35. 35 points. I've never seen a conference championship game this low. Call it the Iowa effect, baby. Um, and, and, you know, listen, these are two great defenses. You know all about Iowa. You don't need me to tell you. I guess what I would just say about this game, um, I, I don't think you can overstate the impact of having Jim Harbaugh back on the sidelines. And we've talked about this for the last four or five weeks. Picked Michigan to beat Ohio State and cover. They did. Beat Michigan to beat Penn State and cover. They did. Um, but the reason why I like Michigan is because of the attitude that Jim Harbaugh has imparted on this team. We're fearless. We're having fun. I thought it was interesting this week when he could have taken shots at Ohio State or the Big Ten or how they handled things. You know what he said? So we get to play for a Big Ten championship. Who's got it better than us? And so when I look at Harbaugh, when I look at Michigan, they're going to be loose. They're going to be relaxed. I saw a quote where J.J. McCarthy said, uh, whenever I need that to get that first hit out of my system, he comes up and gives me a shoulder to my chest, Jim Harbaugh. And so that to me is important. But what I also think is important, you know what's important? I haven't heard anybody talk about this except for me on the college football betting pod. And by the way, maybe others have. I just haven't heard it. How about Sharon Moore just calling plays? Not having to be the acting head coach, not having to make the pregame speech, the halftime speech, the postgame speech, not having to worry about the defense, not having to worry about special teams, not having to worry about calling timeouts. He just gets to focus on play calling. How about this? In the six games that Sharon Moore has called, that has that Jim Harbaugh has been on the sidelines, because remember, he missed the first three games as well. When Sharon Moore can just focus on play call, Michigan has scored 31, 45, 52, 53, and 49, 49 and 41 points. Okay. So in those three, in those six games, the fewest points they have scored is 31. The most they have scored is 52. And they've broke, broken 40-plus points in five of those six games. The games that Jim Harbaugh has not been on the sidelines, they have not scored more than 35. Now, part of it was early in the season, the competition. Part of it was late in the season, you're playing Penn State and Ohio State. But with Michigan now, Harbaugh can focus on the big picture stuff. Sharon Moore can call plays. I think Michigan rolls. I think Michigan rolls. I like the over. The analogy I made on the college football betting show. And if you listen to both shows, shout out to you. I apologize that some of this is a little bit repetitive, okay? When Michigan gets to the Big Ten Championship game, you know what it really reminds me of? It reminds me of, like, I feel like for me, Ohio State, it's the game. The big one, you get through it. There's no fear going into the Big Ten Championship game. Dominated two years ago against Iowa. Dominated two years ago against Purdue. It reminds me of growing up in Connecticut, seeing the Red Sox in 2004 finally get over the New York Yankees. And guess what? They got to the World Series and destroyed the St. Louis Cardinals, swept them in four games. And it felt like once they got by the Yankees, they weren't losing to anybody. And that's how I feel about Michigan. I think they roll. I think they dominate. I think Iowa puts up a score late. Go ahead and give me Michigan 38, Iowa 7. 
and a cover for the Wolverines. Really quickly, the last two games, Texas, a 15-and-a-half-point favorite against Oklahoma State. Obviously, Texas needs to win this game to stay in the college football playoff conversation. I think Texas wins, but I do think Oklahoma covers. First of all, with Texas, I think it's a little bit of the Alabama stuff. I don't think we should, like 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 with Texas, everybody wants to focus on the thing they just saw, which was a 50-point win against Texas Tech. But look at the games before that. 10-point win over Iowa State, 3-point win over TCU, 3-point win over Kansas State. And so they play a lot of close games. Sark is who he is. It seems like every year they have, every game they have big leads, it's close, it's low scoring, it's this, it's that, it's whatever. And they find a way to survive. Well, Oklahoma State, keep in mind this, they have the leading rusher in college football, Ali Gordon. But also, their quarterback, Alan Bowman, he throws the ball all over the field, and Oklahoma's Oklahoma State's pass offense is actually a little bit better than the run offense. Nationally, Oklahoma State in the pass offense, this is what the Cowboys do in the pass offense, okay? In pass offense, I know I've said that seven times, forgive me, but the Oklahoma State Cowboys rank number 36 nationally, average 264 yards per game, and in three of the last four games, Alan Bowman has thrown for over 300 yards. Meanwhile, on the flip side, they are the 57th-ranked rush attack. And from the Texas perspective, listen, they're really good at what they do, but that pass defense is not elite. They rank 70, excuse me, 95th nationally in that category. And so when I look at this game, I think Oklahoma State's going to be able to move the ball. I think Oklahoma State's going to be able to score. Do they do enough to win? I don't know, but the 15-and-a-half, in my opinion, is too much. I think Oklahoma keeps Oklahoma State keeps it close. I will say 31 to 27 Texas wins. Lastly, Florida State Louisville. I've seen a lot of discourse on social media about Florida State. And I get it. It is a talking point. And I honestly don't know how I feel about it at this exact moment. I want to see the results. If Florida State wins, I want to judge them. I don't know if they're one of the four best teams. Are they one of the four most deserving teams? We can debate that. If they beat Louisville, but they're only a one and a half point favorite. The over-under is 47 and a half. I don't think they're beating Louisville. One, their offense is terrible without Jordan Travis. Remember last week, I, I get their playing on the road against Florida. They had 224 yards of total offense against Florida. That's bad. That is really, 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 really freaking bad. That's bad. Like 132 yards passing. Let me see. I have the notes right here. So let me look it up. Florida State, 224 yards rush uh, total offense, 134 yards passing. That's like, like you could run the triple option and have better total offense and passing offense than that. So that's one. And then two, Louisville. I thought, you know, listen, we got a lot of Kentucky fans that listen to the show. I love you guys and girls. Louisville had over 100 more yards of total offense. They were negative two in the turnover battle. That was a game that Louisville could have won. So Florida won a game they probably Florida State won a game they probably shouldn't have against Florida. Louisville lost a game that maybe I don't want to discredit Mark Stoops and Kentucky, but a game that they could have lost and they 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 did, but a game that they could have won, I should say. I think the other thing too, Louisville has the best run defense in the in the ACC. They're gonna make that quarterback beat them. I like Louisville to win, Louisville to cover. So my conference championship picks are Alabama over Georgia. Michigan over Ohio State, Oregon over Washington, uh, Texas over Oklahoma State, and Louisville over uh, Louisville over Florida State. 
I think eliminating Florida State takes a lot of the conversation out of the big picture of the college football playoff. One thing I promise you, I'll tell you this. If it goes as planned, if Georgia loses, if Oregon beats Washington, I am here to tell you, Saturday night, this is going to be the big, dumb debate. It's going to be, should Georgia get in over Oregon? Because think about it. Alabama's going to be in because they're the SEC champ. Michigan will be in because they're undefeated. Texas will be in because they beat the SEC champ. They're the mightiest team that's ever lived. And we're going to try to sneak in a second SEC team over a Pac-12 champion. I'm telling you it's going to happen. I don't think the committee will fall for it. I think if, if the games go as I say, it will be Michigan, Alabama, Oregon, and Texas in some order. But I'm here to tell you, that is going to be the debate that people try to stir up if Georgia loses that game. We'll see. I think the big one to watch, Florida State's got to lose. Because Florida State is the inflection point of this playoff conversation. We talked about it on Wednesday's show. If Florida State wins, it just becomes, oh my God, the discourse between Florida State winning and when the four teams are announced is going to be exhausting. So stay tuned for that. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, Got to talk some college football transfer portal. The portal is hot. It is humming. A lot of big names. Quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. And obviously, look, we, 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 we just spent a ton of time talking these uh, conference championship games. I'm so excited for the weekend ahead. But here's the thing about college football in 2023. When the games end on the field, that is when it actually gets very interesting off the field because you know what December in college football means. That is right. It is transfer portal season, baby, in college football. And so it's interesting because technically the portal doesn't open until Monday, a couple days from now after these conference championship games. And so because of it, players aren't really allowed to leave. The only players that are allowed to leave are guys that are either graduate transfers, they can leave whenever they want, or if your coach has left. So if a Texas A&M, those players, who obviously their coach Jimbo Fisher was fired, or in the case of like a Duke, their head coach took another job, they're allowed to transfer. So I just bring it all up to say, players aren't technically supposed to be in the portal just yet, but at the same time, we have players publicly announcing that they are leaving, thanking their schools, fancy graphics, some of them even doing interviews, even though they're technically not allowed to enter the portal until Monday. So let's just dive in because I do think there have been some mega, mega, mega names that have entered the portal. And really, I thought Thursday was the day, Wednesday into Thursday, when things really started to get crazy. First name. I think, look, the biggest name in the portal is Riley Leonard. We talked about him a little bit on the YouTube channel on Wednesday night. We'll get to him momentarily. But the most interesting name that I would argue that has entered the portal to this point, it is actually UCLA quarterback Dante Moore. For people who don't know the background on him, former five-star, he was a true freshman this past year, so high school class of 2023, number two ranked quarterback in last class behind only Arch Manning. And really, it was just kind of a weird up and down year for him. Really, it was a weird recruitment in general. Was committed to Oregon. Kenny Dillingham leaves. You don't really see UCLA, the type of school that's going to land a five-star in a random circumstance like that. But I do think the opportunity to play early, obviously, with Dorian Thompson-Robinson leaving at UCLA, led him to pick UCLA, but now he is leaving. 
kind of an interesting year from the Dante Moore perspective because it was really just kind of an up-and-down kind of situation for him at UCLA. On the one hand, started playing early. He didn't technically start the first game of the year. That was Ethan Garbers. But by the end of the first game, he was playing and then basically took control of that offense for probably about a five, six-game stretch in the middle of the year. Wasn't really super effective in the process. 1,600 yards passing, 11 touchdowns, but also nine interceptions. And so late in the year with the offense struggling, Chip Kelly uh, unfortunately had to go back to Ethan Garbers. Then when Ethan Garbers got banged up, they went in another direction, played a third and fourth quarterback. And so even though Dante Moore was super high profile, I don't know that this is all that shocking. And really, I was thinking about this with Dante Moore, and we'll get to some other guys here in a minute. Like this is kind of, in my opinion, the gift and the curse of signing these high school elite stars, especially at the quarterback position when only one can play at once. At at one point, you know, you're excited to have them, all that good stuff. But at the same time, I do think unless it is like an Arch Manning where it is very clear, hey, there's a guy in front of me, I am not coming to play year one. I do think it's that weird thing where they're probably not ready to play, but you have pressure to play them. But then if you play them and they don't play well and you have to go to somebody else, then they're probably going to leave. So it's an impossible situation. But this kid is leaving UCLA. You know, UCLA, I think, will be fine. I know there's a lot of negativity around Chip Kelly right now, but I think they'll ultimately be fine. And what I'll be interested from this kid's perspective, Dante Moore, is what his next move is. Thought it was interesting. He did an interview with 24-7 Sports on Thursday afternoon. Again, not even supposed to be technically in the portal yet, but but he kind of said, look, I'm not looking for a starting spot or a starting opportunity, just a place to be developed. And so that really kind of opens up the door for just about everybody. Uh, But I don't know that I necessarily believe that. I think he's going to go to a place where he's going to have the opportunity to play right away. But bluntly, he's going to have to be better than he was at UCLA, because if he isn't, doesn't matter where the school is, there's going, he's not going to be successful. So I wish him luck. No ill will. He did struggle as a freshman. A lot of guys do, but it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. You kind of know the schools that are going to be in the mix for a quarterback. Remember, he was committed to Oregon early in the process. Kenny Dillingham leaves. You wonder if Oregon could get back in the mix. Bunch of other schools will need quarterbacks. So keep an eye on Dante Moore. I think you can argue one of the two or three guys that I think will be as highly coveted as anybody this offseason. Let's keep it going with some other interesting names. Another name that entered on Thursday. This one, you don't need to be a diehard college hoops, uh, college football fan, excuse me, to know this name. Our old buddy, DJ Uwe Laganale. He's back in the portal, baby. That's right. Oh, you thought he was out of eligibility? Think again. We thought he was going to be a three and done at Clemson. Doesn't work out. Goes to Oregon State this past year. Had actually pretty good success. But with Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State coach, leaving for Michigan State, he decides to enter the portal. And let me just say this. This is going to be a very interesting recruitment. Now, what I would say about DJ, look, we kind of know who he is at this point. And even at Oregon State, they'll try to sell you that he was so much better. And I do think it kind of helped Clemson. It kind of helped his kind of reputation, if you will, that Clemson struggled this year. But let's not pretend. He wasn't that great at Oregon State. 21 touchdowns, seven interceptions is good. But the problem that he had at Clemson, completion percentage, that was an issue at Oregon State. Accuracy was a a problem at Oregon State, just 57% completion percentage. So when I look at DJ, I think it's pretty straightforward. I think he's a kid. Go find a place almost like what you did with Oregon State this year, where you don't have to be the star, where there is a balance in run and pass game. 
Because Oregon State, again, to me, was kind of the perfect spot. They run the ball so much that when you get the opportunity, you don't have to be great. Just don't be terrible. And he was very good for an Oregon State team that ended up 8-4 and four this year. In terms of where he could end up next, you know, two schools seem to have emerged and both kind of make sense. One is Oregon. Uh, it's worth noting, obviously, Oregon will lose Bo Nix at the end of this season. Remember, too, DJ's younger brother, Mateo Uyangalale, is at Oregon. So you wonder if they'll get in the mix. It's also re reported, and I kind of heard this through the grapevine prior to him entering the portal, that Florida State could be a school that is interested in him and he is interested in concurrently. That kind of makes sense because we saw what the Florida State backup and third-string quarterback situation looks like post-Jordan uh, Travis, who was obviously hurt and out for the year. Florida State was not very good on offense last week against Florida, and so you would assume they'd be in the market for a quarterback this offseason. Those two schools seem to have jumped to the forefront. We will see what happens with DJ Uyilagandale. Let's get to the final, what I would argue is very, very, very big name in the transfer portal at the quarterback position. That is Riley Leonard, the quarterback at Duke. And I don't think he carries the name brand of a DJ Uyilagandale or even a Dante Moore. But I'm here to tell you, in terms of covet, you know, the the, the volume, the interest and in, in the amount that he will be coveted, Riley Leonard is probably the closest thing that you have to a sure thing in the college football transfer portal right now in 2023. So far, it's still very early, to be abundantly clear. But this was a kid, remember, two years ago, not this past year, but the year before. This was a kid that led Duke to a nine-win season in 2022. By the way, we talked about him a little bit on the YouTube channel on, I think it was Wednesday night. So if this is a little bit repetitive, if you're watching on YouTube, forgive me, but we got to talk about Riley Leonard because he is another new name of very, in, you know, very big note and intrigue that is now in the portal and has been for about 24 hours. Again, led Duke to a nine-win season a year ago, and he was the reason why. He was the X factor. He was the difference maker for that team. He was a guy that two seasons ago, now we're still talking about, played all 13 games, 2,900 yards passing, 20 touchdowns, six interceptions, and then, oh, by the way, 700 more yards rushing, 13 rushing touchdowns, 33 total touchdowns. That shows you what kind of talent this kid is. Now, the problem, unfortunately, he got banged up this year. Duke started off really well. He was playing great. They beat Clemson. They had Florida State actually down at the half. Then he gets hurt. They lose to Florida State. The next week he tries to come back at Louisville. They lose to Louisville. And it's just one struggle after the other. And unfortunately, that Louisville game was the last game that he played the entire season. So he gets hurt. He only plays seven games total, finishes with 1,100 yards passing, three passing touchdowns, four rushing touchdowns. And I think it was a pretty smart decision for him to go ahead and decide to transfer rather than enter the NFL draft. If he had been healthy and if he had played like he did in 2022, I think there's a situation where he's maybe a late first round, early second round pick, not an NFL draft expert. I rely on the experts who really liked him coming into the year, but he got hurt, clearly doesn't have the best tape. And I think what's important to note here, he is now going to be able to rehab uh, and, and and get back on the field before he has to go through that draft process, right? You enter the NFL draft now, you're trying to impress your future employers while also rehabbing an injury, get healthy, uh, good, put some good tape out there, lead a team to a bunch of wins, and hopefully you'll be good to go. In terms of Riley Leonard's future, it was interesting 
when he entered the portal, uh, and again, he was a player that can't enter the portal because his coach left. He put one of those, uh, uh, you know, do not contact. In other words, when you enter the portal, you can enter as a guy and they give you your information and who to reach out to and blah, 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 and this and that. But there are also players that can request do not reach out to me, which seems to indicate that there are already schools that kind of have a pretty good feel or he has a pretty good feel for places he would like to go. The school that was immediately connected to Riley Leonard on Wednesday night, it was Notre Dame. Remember, they lose Sam Hartman this year. They also have a five-star quarterback coming in next year. C.J. Carr, the grandson of the old Michigan coach Lloyd Carr, is coming to, to, to Notre Dame next year. And so I just bring it up because it feels like there's that one-year gap. Come in, plug and play, we'll develop you for the pros, and then you get out, we'll get C.J. Carr in. Notre Dame, of course, had a top 10 defense this year. They always had a good run game. And so if you get Riley Leonard, I think Notre Dame's back into being in that top 10 in that short conversation. Remember, next year's a 12-team college football playoff. You'd feel pretty good about Notre Dame making it with a Riley Leonard, at quarterback. Let's just get to some other quick names uh, that have entered the portal in the last couple of days. Thought this one was really interesting. Juice Wells, South Carolina wide receiver. Another guy like Riley Leonard was banged up this year, had just three catches. But the year before? Oh, he was the leading receiver in the SEC. That's right, the leading receiver in the SEC. 928 yards receiving on 68 catches two years ago when Spencer Rattler and him both transferred in. Bring it up, got banged up this year, has entered the portal as a grad transfer. This kid's going to be as coveted as anybody. I would think if you're an Ohio State, if you're a Texas, if you're a BAM, if you have one of these high-profile, high-passing attacks, Juice Wells will be a top priority I would argue right behind Riley Leonard, maybe a Dante Moore. He's going to be as coveted as anybody. So Juice Wells is in the portal. Also, sad to say, as a UConn fan, one of the few bright spots for UConn this year, Justin Jolie has entered the transfer portal. He's a tight end that had 56 catches uh, over the course of this season. Big athletic kid. Uh, bluntly, when they played uh, a few weeks ago, when they played Tennessee, uh, I think a lot of Tennessee fans came away saying, who is that guy? Eight catches for 69 yards in that game. But he is a guy, he's a high major dude. He's he's a power five dude. Um, you know, in the NIL world, I think it was going to be hard for UConn to keep him anyway. But I don't think that UConn going three and nine helped at all. Um, I'll just be blunt. As a UConn alum, I am not surprised by this news. It's disappointing. You want to keep all your good players, but it's not surprising. Uh, so Justin Jolie is in the transfer portal there. A couple guys we talked about on the YouTube channel earlier in the week, Relique Brown, a former five-star who played at USC the last two years, is in the portal, or he will be when it officially opens next week. He was a kid, really explosive, really talented as a true freshman two years ago, and just kind of got in Lincoln Riley's doghouse, couldn't quite get, get, get touches this year. Two years ago, three touchdowns, 10 yards per reception. This year, just three catches total. Finally, Chris Tyree, Notre Dame's leading wide receiver, is in. Will Howard, by the way, who we talked about earlier this week on the YouTube channel, is also in as well. Led Kansas State to a uh, to a Big 12 title last year. Remember, they played Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. He is a quarterback, a little bit limited athletically, but he does what you need to do. Good veteran quarterback. Uh, he has been linked to a few schools early, including Kentucky which will obviously have to replace Devin Leary. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break. By the way, should say, we will go ahead and be doing these portal updates regularly. It's that time of year. December is portal season, baby. 
And I'm here to tell you there is going to be a lot of movement. You want to stay tuned. You want to be subscribed to this podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're going to be updating left and right. But we are what we are going to do now, take a quick break, come back. And when we come back, we will wrap with America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap, as we do every Friday, with America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Yes, even on the road, even after traveling and flying and driving all over the country, we ain't going to wrap a week without doing Aaron right, Aaron wrong. By now, you know the concept. Stole this from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong every single week. And I decided to bring it to the Aaron Torres podcast for one very simple reason. Yes, I stole the segment just in case anybody was wondering why we brought it to the Aaron Torres pod. It is pretty straightforward. It is because over the course of a week, a month, a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, nobody loves giving out more hot sports takes than your boy Torres. Torres said this. Torres said that. You should have listened to Torres. I never shut up. Just one problem. For everything that I get right, oh, I get a lot of stuff wrong too which is why we do this every week where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, Re- giving you, reminding you of my best and worst takes of the week, month, year. So let's get into it. Let's not waste any more time where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, where Aaron was right. Last week on this show, I told you that Michigan was beating Ohio State. And not only was Michigan going to beat Ohio State, but I told you they were going to cover and I told you why it was going to happen. I said the two teams Follow the leads of their head coaches. Jim Harbaugh's loose. He's fun. He made the joke about his mom's bathing suit. I like my locker rooms like I like my mom's bathing suit in one piece, baby. Then you got Ryan Day who's yelling and screaming and crying because Lou Holtz said mean things about him. Well, what happened on Saturday, even without Jim Harbaugh, Michigan made the plays that mattered. And when Ohio State needed the big defensive stop, They could not get it. Listen, I'm not saying Ohio State is the worst team in college football. And I think once the 12-team playoff comes, they'll have as good a chance as anybody to win two or three games and win a title. But right now, Michigan owns that rivalry. Michigan owns the Big Ten. And it is because they have a coach that in the big moments has instilled confidence in them where Ohio State plays scared. I'm sorry, Buckeye fans, but you know that it's true because I've heard from a lot of you over the course of the week where Aaron was wrong. So... This is this is like an all-time Aaron wrong here. So I kind of thought, so this week, lead up to the college football playoff Final Four selection show, and I kind of assumed naively, I was like, you know, I, I feel like all of this is going to settle itself on the field, and if it doesn't, if Texas wins, if Florida State wins, then on Saturday night and into Sunday, we'll get into all our debates and we'll yell and scream on social media. Uh, Yeah, no, I was dead wrong on this because really, like basically starting Monday, I've seen all the SEC homers and SEC honks basically already arguing that the SEC should get two teams in basically regardless of what happens. Now, if Alabama loses, there isn't much of an argument, but I'm already starting to see the push. Well, if Georgia were to lose, come on, you can't keep out a team that's won like 35 of their last 36 games. You just can't do it. Why can't you do it? I don't know. They would have lost the last game of the season against the best team that they have played. It seems like a perfectly logical reason to leave Georgia out to me. And oh, by the way, if Texas loses and if Florida State loses, then yeah, 
you should probably put Georgia in as the top non-conference champion. But we haven't even gotten there yet. The games haven't even been played, and I already see all these SEC accounts arguing on behalf of two SEC teams. Let it go. Let it slide. Let's see what happens. I told you earlier in the show, I don't think Florida State wins, which means that it should be pretty straightforward. The SEC champ, the Big Ten champ, the Big 12 or the Big 12 champ in Texas, and the Pac-12 champ should be in, but it never is that simple. And I promise you this, guys and girls, regardless of who wins on Saturday, regardless of who loses the SEC championship game come Saturday about 7 p.m. Eastern, you are going to start to see people try to convince you the SEC should get two teams in. We'll see what happens. I thought we were going to wait. I guess we are not. Let's get back to it where Aaron was right. How about those Kentucky Wildcats on the basketball court? Listen, I told you. Listen, here's the thing. Kentucky played four games in Canada this year. If all you did was take two minutes to watch them, you could see pretty clearly this is a completely different team, super athletic, super quick, way different than they were the last two years with Oscar Shibway under center, and really a lot different than the last three, four, five years, I think dating back to at least the 2017, 2016-2017 uh, season when they had De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, etc. Of course, when I said that, oh, Torres, you're a homer. Oh, it's summer exhibitions. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it does if you watch. And you could see this was a different team. Did I think they were going to be quite this good this fast? I did not. But Kentucky destroyed Miami in the Big 12 and the ACC SEC challenge. And at the end of the day, they look right now like the favorites in the SEC. Not saying Arkansas can't get there, not saying Tennessee can't bounce back. But at the same time, I told you, told you, told you that Kentucky was really good. Credit to Calipari, credit to Reed Shepard, credit to Rob Dillingham. They have looked awesome. Where Aaron was wrong, I bought into the Tennessee Volunteers. I picked them to make the Final Four in the preseason. Tennessee has now lost three straight games with just an embarrassing effort on Wednesday night against North Carolina. Now listen, the first two games, they were in the Maui Invitational. They lost to literally the number one and number two teams in the country, uh, Purdue, which was number two at the time on last Tuesday. Uh, and of course they lost to Kansas a day later. I tried to brush that off as it was just a lot of really good teams playing. Somebody had to lose these games and unfortunately it was Tennessee, but then they go to North Carolina and get absolutely destroyed on Wednesday night. Now you could argue Tennessee. It's just a lot of travel, go all the way to Hawaii, all the way back. They probably didn't get back till sometime on Friday. Then they got to hop on a plane on Tuesday again. It's a lot of travel. I get it. You can't lose in the manner you did to Tennessee, to, to North Carolina. Listen, I think Tennessee eventually bounces back, but that was a bad, 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 ugly loss. They have now lost three straight. Where Aaron was right. Let's stay in college hoops. How about them Arkansas Razorbacks? Listen, everybody was giving up on Arkansas. And I just kept saying, you know, everybody's tweeting at me, Torres, uh, not, not so much of a big pig invasion now, huh? Blah, blah. I'm like, dude, everybody relax. Eric Mossman's going to figure it out. Eric Mossman is right up there with John Calipari and two or three other guys in college basketball where I don't care the pieces that you give him in September, October, November. He will figure it out by November, December, January, February, March. And that is exactly what you're starting to see. On Wednesday night at home against Duke, Arkansas was the better prepared team, better disciplined team, and they were in complete control. Don't let the final score fool you 80 to 75. That was a game that Arkansas was in complete control for about 38 minutes 
until they couldn't break the freaking full court press and Duke ended up making it a game. Arkansas is going to be fine. Don't worry about them. For everybody that says, well, last year they weren't good either. Yeah, last year they had a first-round pick in and out of the lineup all year with injuries in Nick Smith. And then Trevin Brazil got hurt early in the year. Trevin Brazil's healthy at 19 and 11 against Duke. Arkansas is going to be fine. I told you they're going to be fine. I don't know if they're going to win the SEC, but they are a team that has the talent to do whatever they want all season long. We'll see if they're able to do it. Where Aaron was wrong. Team that Arkansas beat on Wednesday night was the Duke Blue Devils. And let me just say this. Duke was my preseason national championship pick. I feel very confident saying they're not winning the national championship. I just don't think they have enough outside of Kyle Filipowski to do it. Mark Mitchell, their wing player, has not gotten better. He's basically a 6'8", 6'9", guy that can't shoot. If he's not dunking the ball at the rim, he really isn't contributing. You know, he's 6'8", 6'9", but he's not like Andre Jackson at UConn last year that was making plays, creating for others, being a difference maker defensively. He's just a 6'9", athlete out there that doesn't really do anything. Their guards have not improved. This is Duke I'm talking about now. Tyrese Proctor, people were saying was a lottery pick. I don't see it right now. Duke already lost to Arizona in a game that wasn't that close. They lost to Arkansas in a game that was basically about 10, 12 points for the final 10 minutes until Arkansas couldn't break the press. But I bring it up because I picked Duke to win the national championship in the preseason. I do not feel good about that. But where Aaron was right, you know who I picked to win the Super Bowl in the preseason? Those Philadelphia Eagles. And all those Eagles keep doing is winning, baby. Listen, this team, I am so impressed by Jalen Hurts. I am so impressed by what this team is about. The Eagles sitting at 10-1 and right now. Obviously, not only beating the Kansas City Chiefs a few weeks ago, but taking care of business against the Buffalo Bills last Sunday at an instant classic. I get a lot of stuff wrong, but I love Jalen Hurts. I love this team. I love what they're about. I love the offensive line. I love the defensive line. The bu- the I, I, I still call it the Bush push, but the Tush push is as unstoppable as any play in football. The Eagles keep winning. That was your boy's Super Bowl pick. Finally, where Aaron is wrong. Let's stay in the NFL. And speaking of Aaron, when Aaron Rodgers unfortunately got hurt, I said, not only is he done for the year, I said, I think he's he might be done for his career. An Achilles injury is just not something that you come back from And at 39 years old, I wondered if he'd be able to come back at all. Remember, Kevin Durant tore his Achilles in the NBA playoffs, and he was basically out 18 months. Now, the NBA is more of a quick twitch, you know, kind of quick movement sport. Basketball is more of a quick movement sport. But you don't have 300-pound people diving at your ankles in the NFL. And so why Aaron was wrong is because the other Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, might be coming back this year. I'll still believe it when I see it. It seems like the narrative changes every day. A few days ago, he he wanted to come back. Then he said on McAfee, he's only going to come back if the team's in the playoff race. Then I see on Thursday that he's ramping up his training. So we'll see how it all plays out. Don't want to oversell it, but this is a wild story. Cannot believe we're actually talking about Aaron Rodgers potentially coming back this year. All right. I think that's it for this Friday episode of the Aaron Torres pod. Uh, Again, first of all, thank you guys and girls for your support. Uh, I uh, had an incredible uh, week at Arkansas uh, when the Arkansas Razorbacks played the Duke Blue Devils. Headed to Fog Allen Fieldhouse tonight. Cannot wait. By the way, in terms of final score, I'm not even going to make a prediction. UConn has won 24 straight straight non-conference games by double figures. 
I don't think that's happening in Fog Allen Fieldhouse. I saw that Kansas is a two-point favorite. Listen, if I learned one thing from being at that Arkansas-Duke game, it is so hard to win on the road in college hoops. I think UConn's the better team. But Kansas at home, you know, maybe had a little bit of a Maui hangover themselves. We just talked about Tennessee a minute ago. Hate to do it, I'd probably lean Kansas. But, hey, I'll be happy to be wrong on a UConn Huskies game. But thank you again to everybody in Arkansas. Thank you to those in Kansas that are – reaching out with suggestions, but it is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, do me a favor. Make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Make sure you're following on YouTube, closing in on 30,000 subscribers. Cannot thank you all enough for your support there. Uh, And that's it. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to everybody for following. And guess what? I will be back on Monday where we're going to talk about the final four in college football. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Redick, you F-Ed. Unblock me, bro. By the way, tell your boy Pat McAfee, unblock me too. Got half of ESPN blocking your boy Torres up in here. What's that all about? Be back on Monday. I'm going to enjoy the fog. I'm going to enjoy the college football. See you Monday. Take care, everybody.